Great Britain, which had a monarchy who believed that their, their, their power was ordained by God. They're saying, we don't want God over us. Especially God putting you over the throne. We want to we wanna decide our own destiny. We want to decide our own future. That's the rebellious spirit this nation is born out of. That's what democracy, a, re a republic, democratic republic, whatever you want to call it, is we, the people, who have the right to govern ourselves because we don't want nobody telling us what to do, not even Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse study of the gospel according to Matthew. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Jehovah, through a dream, informed the wise men who had come to worship the king to return to their country another way. Jehovah revealed to Joseph in a dream about the plans of Herod to kill Yeshua. Jehovah then instructs Joseph to take his wife and son to Egypt and await further instructions. Egypt the land of Mitzrayim, the son of Ham, the son of Noah, has played a key role in the lives of the Hebrew people throughout Scripture. Now, once again, Egypt becomes a sanctuary of safety used in Jehovah's master plan. The message title in this podcast is Yeshua Goes to Egypt. So, let's study. All right. Well, we are, again, we are in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 2. And last week, we concluded um, dealing with the king is born. And we pick up where we left off last week. Now, we, we know that Jehovah, through a dream, as we discovered last week uh, in the teaching, informed the wise men who had come to worship the king to return to their country another way. And, and he revealed to Joseph at the same time, or shortly thereof, to leave the land because Herod was planning to kill uh, the babies. He instructed Joseph to take his wife and his son to Egypt and there to await further instructions as to when they would return. Now, what we also know, um, and, and, and I find it quite interesting, as a matter of fact, it's, to me, um, as we're looking at Genesis and Exodus and also looking at the Gospels as we've gone through John and now we're in Matthew, that if, as we're following both tracks, we are finding that what, what the Gospels is revealing to us is things that had been spoken in uh, the books of the Torah that we are we're currently going through. And in Genesis, when we went through Genesis, uh, for many of us, we know that Egypt is the land of Ham from one of Ham's sons, Mitzrayim. Now, I got to tell you that for the greater part of my life growing up in Mississippi, uh, whenever 
I looked at the map, the Bible maps that were in the books of the Bible, all you would see would be the top of Africa. It would be Egypt. And I didn't know, and this is my own ignorance, uh, because I could have learned. And, but, but the people that I grew up with, the churches that I went to, I never made the connection that Egypt was actually North Africa. And the television certainly didn't help because every time I watched the Bible movie, everybody was Caucasian. I mean, that's just, that's just the way it was. Even Cleopatra <laughs> come to find that all of that, that Noah and, and, and his sons, and you would be hard pressed to find a person of color in any of the Bible movies indicating that there were no people of color in the Bible. And with the map of Egypt not showing that it was actually the continent of Africa, you would never make that connection. And, and I'm saying that to say that what you will find in the Bible is diversity. The Bible is a book of diversity that all of the people, regardless to their nationality, their ethnicity, or their race, we all find our way back to Noah and then ultimately to Adam. And so the book or the people of the book are all family. <laughs> Just let that soak in there for a minute. The people of the book are all family, regardless to the region they're in. Now, unfortunately, with the genealogies of today and Ancestry.com and all of that, they can take a person back to a particular country as far as the origin of their ancestry. But how many of you know Ancestry.com don't take them back to Noah? Hello. We know that there was a time in, 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 in world history to where there were only Noah and his wife, Noah's sons and their wives, and they were the only people on the face of the earth because everybody else had been wiped out. From Noah come the nations through Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And Ham's son, one of his sons, were named Mitzrayim, which is Egypt. And Egypt has always had a prominent place in the Bible, as we will see. I've also made it very clear that out of Noah's two sons, or three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, that the Bible seems to follow both Shem and Japheth. I'm sorry, Shem and Ham. That Shem and Ham seems to be the predominant sons of Noah's and, and, and their descendants from Genesis all the way up to Malachi. <laughs> and, and you will see this 
as we continue to go through, um, as we've gone through um, Genesis and as we're going through Exodus. And so I point that out to say that Egypt, the land of Mitzrayim, the son of Ham, the son of Noah, has played a key role in the lives of the Hebrew people throughout Scripture. And here we are now where Messiah in Matthew chapter 2 is also going to find himself as a child in Egypt finding sanctuary from Herod and his brutal regime with the intent of trying to destroy all the children uh, at the time, two years and under. And so Father has strategically established Egypt as a place of sanctuary for his people at times throughout human history. And what we're going to see in this teaching is that Yeshua now is going to go to Egypt and Jehovah reveals another layer of his master plan to save mankind. In doing so, there's prophecy that is going to be fulfilled. And, and you'll find, as we've gone through the books of the Bible, there are places where it is said it is written or prophecy being fulfilled that we are hard-pressed to specifically find that specific prophecy in Scripture. And we're going to see even some of that here in Matthew chapter 2. When we went through the introduction of Matthew, we identified that Matthew was a publican or a tax collector. Tax collectors were used by the Romans to extract taxes in various forms from the people who sojourned in the land and the people who lived in the land. Matthew had a vast knowledge of the history of the Israeli people or the people, the children of Israel, as well as knowledge of prophecy. And Matthew's use of this knowledge is on display throughout his gospel account. We note that out of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Matthew was an actual eyewitness of Yeshua. In other words, he was one specifically called by the Messiah to follow him from the beginning of his ministry. Mark and Luke were not disciples of Messiah. They were not one of the 12. But Matthew is or was one of the 12. And I'm saying this again because everything that M Messiah did and said is not written. And as we're looking at um, this, this particular passage, for me, as I read and study the Bible, I'm always asking questions. Now, I know practically all of you by name. Yeah. But I don't know your, I don't know your birth story. And the only way I will know your birth story is you tell me. Now, I'm making this statement because when Messiah called Matthew, Matthew was a grown man. 
How would he know Messiah's birth story? How would he know this stuff that he's writing right now? Now, you might say that the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. But I would say that during the time that they lived together, during the time that they traveled together, if you're like a normal person, (laughs) you would have conversation with each other about who you are. If I was to get to know all of you beyond just an introduction, we would probably get into conversation where you'll ask me questions about me. I'll ask you questions about you. I'll ask you if you're married, where'd you meet? Uh, where, did you, where were you born? What city you're from? Uh, you know, you just get into these kinds of questions. And, and, and I'm saying this because if, if I could do anything, if I would love to be able to help you expand your mind beyond just reading and studying the Bible to where you would actually engage yourself in the book. This is not always easy to do, and it is certainly uh, not something that we would even be mindful of doing unless we're actually invited to do that. And I remember back in the day that one of the teachers that I would listen to would would say, you know, something like, you got to, one, practice the presence of, of God, two, you have to try to imagine yourself in that space and time while these events were taking place, meaning that you have to take off the mindset of, of where you are and try to enter into the space of where uh, people are. Now, what makes most actors famous is their ability to play a role so precise to where you actually think they're the real person. This is how they're able to engage you emotionally. This is how a person who is getting paid acting can jerk tears from your eyes. can get you so engaged to where you actually believe that what you are seeing on a television screen, even though as a mature-minded adult, you know that it's not real, yet your emotional connection to what you are watching becomes so connected to where now you're laughing, you're, you're crying, you're getting angry, they are messing with your emotion to a degree to where you literally are engaged in the act. If we can engage in the Bible that way, and how many of you know this is not an act? This is real life. But we have to learn how to engage in the book just like we engage in watching movies and engage in television 
or whatever it is that you engage yourself in. And guess what? This book will become just as real to you if you would be able to do that. So Matthew here is giving us information that either the Holy Spirit revealed to him or there was actual conversation taking place while they were living together, eating together, sleeping together, spending every single day, all day and all night together. Now, we see what is written, but we don't engage or see the conversation that is taking place. And this is where we have to engage our imagination. In some cases, we're going to see Matthew's accounts of prophecy as vague, but in other cases, he pinpoint his prophetic account to the actual writer. So let's pick up in verse 13. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Now, this picks up from where the Magi's had come and they had visited um, Joseph uh, in Nazareth in the house. They presented the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh. The father had revealed to them not to go back the way they came. And then he's going to tell Joseph here in a dream, arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. Now, here's where geography uh, comes in. Because if, if you understand the geography of Israel, Egypt is south. They would have to literally go south because they're in Nazareth, and Nazareth is to the north. Are you all with me so far? Which means that he's got to go through the land where Herod is in order to get to Egypt. Now, I don't know why Father told him to go to Egypt, but he could have easily told him to go up toward Europe. He could have told him to go north instead of going south, but he specifically instructed him to go to Egypt. And there he says, be there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And so we see the angel told Joseph to flee into Egypt until he would inform Joseph to return to the land of Israel. And as I stated, Joseph being in Nazareth of Galilee, has to go through Judea to get to Egypt. The other thing you'll notice, very little is known about Joseph. We know that he's on the scene. We know that he's betrothed to Mary. We know that he's from the line of, of, of Judah through David, possibly uh, through his son Solomon or through David's son Nathan. We know that um, Joseph doesn't seem to have any role outside of covering and protecting his family as a young uh, Messiah and then giving Mary more children. We don't see Joseph's ministry. 
Now, the Bible followed Mary, but Joseph, very little is known about him. But here's what we know, that when father communicated to Joseph, Joseph was seemingly always communicated based on the record through a dream. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. Now, I have to tell you, brothers and sisters, I've dreamed a lot. And I'm sure many of you have dreamed a lot. How do you distinguish a dream that comes from the Almighty that you get up and follow and, and other dreams? How, how, how do you do that? There's something unique about these two individuals, Joseph and Mary, to where when Father specifically with Joseph speak to him in a dream, he is so sure that it is him that this man gets up, gathers his family, leave his home, go through a, a, a land that the person who is ruling over the land is going to eventually want to, is going to try to kill him, go to another land and stay waiting on instructions. Now, I know it's, it's easy to read the Bible and say, well, you know, that's just the way it was. Put yourself in there. And imagine, because for me, I would have to conclude that, that Joseph had that kind of relationship. <laughs> he had that kind of relationship to where when Father visited him in a dream, even though he was dreaming, he knew that he was being instructed by the Almighty. Imagine having that kind of relationship to where when Father communicates, when you have a dream and this dream is coming from him, you don't have to go and try to find a dream interpreter. Joseph, there's no indication that he went to look for somebody who interpreted dreams to try to tell them what to, to, to discern what his father communicating here. And I believe that these are the kinds of relationships to where when we hear his voice, Now, I would have to say, although I cannot prove it, that it would be feasible for by the time Joseph is at this place in his life that he's possibly had other dreams. <laughs> if, you know, he's, he's a regular kind of guy like m many of us. But I have to say that this was definitely a special man because father communicates to him to marry a woman who is pregnant and he hadn't had relationship with her. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. Now, here's the thing we don't know, where they went... In Egypt, we don't know. How long they stayed, we don't know. When they returned, we don't know. But what we do know is that Egypt has played a key role in the lives of the Hebrew people. Egypt is one of the oldest countries in the world, and it is a country that is mentioned in Genesis that still 
is in the same place and has a same kind of vitality and role as it was in the beginning. It's one of those countries that has always been. We know in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, there was a famine in the land and Abraham went down into Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was grievous. And this is one of the first famines recorded in the Bible. So in Genesis to Revelation, and, and here's an interesting uh, verse in Revelation chapter, Revelation 11, 8, it says, and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. What city was he crucified in? Jerusalem. Now, here in Revelation, John is declaring that Jerusalem is going to get to a point to where it's going to be spiritually recognized as Sodom and Egypt. Now, any of us, and I still have folks in, in, in that I, that I um, communicate with from time to time in the church, that you talk Egypt, Egypt is symbolic to the world. In the church mind, Egypt is symbolic to the world. Now, even, even in the church mind, when it comes down to Sodom, Sodom is probably one of the worst places in the world to be compared to. Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet, when Messiah was living and walking and communicating with the children of the Most High, he said that Sodom was going to rise up in judgment. Imagine a place like Sodom rising up in judgment against Jehovah's people. How far would they have had to fallen to be considered judgment by Sodom? This is, this is the state right now, brothers and sisters, the world is in. And I know that there's religion everywhere. Religion is, is, is all over the place. And, and many of us, if we're not careful, because we are religious per se, and doing the, the stuff that, you know, Torah observing people are supposed to do, We have to be mindful of the person we really are. I don't know how to say that um, more clearer than that, because here's why. None of us, none of us need the devil in our lives. You know why? Because we got us. I'll say that again. None of us need the devil in our lives because we got us. We are some devilish, deceptive people. And you know who we deceive the most? And you know how we deceive ourselves so bad? Because there's so many people around us worse than we. 
People around us that are in such bad shape, we okay. We're not okay, folks. Because as long as you got to go and have somebody interpret your dreams, as long as you got to seek out a prophet to tell you what God is saying, as long as you got to ask somebody to pray for you, uh, can, I, can I let you in on a little secret? How many times do you see the Messiah requesting prayer? He simply walked in the will of his father, listening to what his father had to say. His problem was those disciples of his that he had to instruct, correct, adjust, correct, instruct, correct, adjust. <laughs> and even after he was gone, by his spirit, still having to rebuke them and correct them. Why? Because they were born of both a man and a woman. Now, he was born of a woman, but they were born of both a man or a woman and a woman. And many individuals who were born of a man and a woman, which is all of us, Go through life with all the baggage of being born from a man and a woman. Many of us got daddy issues. Most of us might have daddy issues, rejection issues, disappointment issues. Whatever the case may be, we got all these issues that makes it challenging for us to believe that we can actually walk in what the Messiah has called us to walk in. Why? He said the things that he do, we should do. That we, I mean, imagine, imagine just for a moment that he even laid the foundation that there was possible, it was possible that we would do greater works than him. Majority of us haven't even got to the point to where we're doing the work he did. What's up with that? Why? See, I can look at my life and see my hindrances, and my greatest hindrance is me. And then I can look around me and I find myself trying to guard myself more from the folks and the stuff around me than becoming what he's called me to be. We spend a great deal of our time on earth trying to protect ourselves from the stuff around us instead of walking in the authority he's called us to. And when you get married, and you have children, and you got parents, and you got siblings, and you got folks, <laughs> there's just so much distraction in the earth, 
And because we are bo- we're born in that kind of, of environment, most of us, before we even get to a point of adolescence, already got a whole bunch of baggage that we have to work through that take our focus almost for the rest of our lives. We spend the greater part of our lives looking back than we do looking ahead. We are very familiar with the familiar. And interestingly enough, you can find yourself trying to protect yourself and guard yourself from that which is familiar instead of embracing the unknown. And this was Egypt's, this was Israel's problem when Father brought them out of Egypt. I had, I had one um, of, of my teachers, you've heard me say this before, most people don't know what they want. They want what they know. When you start talking about what it is you want out of life, you want that which you are knowledgeable of. There's a greatness that all of us have been called to that we don't even allow ourselves to think about. We we limit ourselves to the things we know, the environment we live in, and as a result of limiting ourselves to the things that we know in the environment that we live in, the older we get, the less we dream. Life becomes a survival. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's all about survival, the survival of the fittest. Trying to get through this, trying to get through that. We spend our lives trying to get through stuff. <laughs> because our focus is life, not calling. When you, when you, when you receive your calling, your calling is designed to help you to, to deal with the distractions around you because your distractions will show themselves as distractions once you know your calling. The majority of the people of the kingdom spend their life trying to discern their calling while being distracted by life and all the stuff that comes with it. I'll I'll tell you, for many of us, some of the best things you can do is to separate yourself from people. Just, Just separate yourself from people. Get into a place to where it's you and him. And learn how to, learn how to walk with him because no matter how much you want to walk with him with your husband, no matter how much you want to walk with him with your wife, no matter how much you want to teach your children, no matter how much you want to, you know, just, just, just live holy, this thing, this walk is individual. It's individual. It's, it's, really, it's really not designed... It's really not designed to be shared. 
I, I hate to put it to you that way, but but that's that's the fact. Every last one of us, our calling is so unique. No matter how much we have somebody who cares for us, no matter how much we have somebody who loves us, no matter how much we have somebody who wants to spend the rest of our, their lives with us, they can't understand the calling. And, and, and don't let them be called. Messiah gathered these individuals together and they were all unique in their own personality. They couldn't understand him. They had hard times understanding each other. They had difficulty understanding themselves. It is only, I believe, when you come into the position to where, okay, I understand my calling. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. And now, I know how to deal with the distractions of life. Spouses can be a distraction. Anybody who's honest with themselves would know that. As long as, as, long as we're living worldly in the world, even with a desire to, to be religious and, and to do the things that, you know, the Bible teach, we have to come to the conclusion that these two can be distractions. A wife is unique. A husband is unique. When a man and a woman marry, they become more concerned about the spouse than they do be about God. That's a reality, folks. And the thing that keeps us from even desiring the call, embracing it, and then pursuing it is the people that are traveling with us. Namely, our wives, our husbands, our children. This is why I, I believe Paul would say it's better that you don't marry. Because when you get married, the, the interest and the cause of the other person will become greater. You'd be more concerned about how to please your spouse than how to please your God. And the moment you begin to focus on how to please your God, guess where your problems are going to be? Imagine walking with the Almighty. Where are you going? What you doing? Who are you talking to? But society teaches us to get entangled in that, right? And so what do we want? We want a spouse. We want a marriage. We want children. And that's wonderful. Brother, you got so far off this teaching. <laughs> yeah. 
but 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 it but it's in there. What are we talking about? We talking. <laughs> Listen, every every man and woman from Mister Adam on have had this dilemma. <laughs> are you hearing me? From the very beginning, this dilemma has been a dilemma. Remember, Mister and Mrs. Adam. Here it is, Adam is trying to honor God and he got a wife, right? <laughs> now, guess what? Can I just can I just hang out in here for just a minute? Let me let me hang out for just a minute. Just a little minute, and then I'll move on. Father made the man by himself, didn't he? And man started looking around and seeing the animals with mates and started wondering where is mine. He got distracted, didn't he? Hello? So what father do? He put him to sleep. You want this woman? Here you go. Next thing you know, it's this woman you gave me. <laughs> now, I'm not trying to blame the problem of mankind on woman. See, the problem of mankind, I believe, is a weak man. A weak man who's more concerned about how to please his wife than how to please his God or how to please his self, a selfish man, a selfish, self-centered, or weak. Abraham showed signs of strength and, and seemed like he was doing fine until he had a helpmeet who wanted to help him fulfill the prophecy God spoke to him. Well, you know, I can't have no children. You see how she judged herself? Did she end up having children? So what did she trust? She trust herself to bring about what he said instead of waiting on him. Abraham was fine with where he was. His conversation was between him and the Almighty, not between him and Sarah. Brothers. You will face resistance walking with the Almighty. You just have to be willing to withstand the resistance as you walk with the Almighty. And guess what? You will find that the one you love will call you names. Name calling is a form of intimidation to bring you under the person who is calling you a name. The moment you respond to somebody calling you a name, you've come underneath their spell. You've come underneath their spirit. Because you've responded to what they have called you. And at that moment, you have lost 
connection to what he has called you. When we focus on what he calls us to and what he called us, guess what? Now we just got to stay focused. And what are the distractions? The distractions are there to bring you underneath. That's what the enemy has been doing from day one. Trying to bring you underneath him because to get you underneath him, he's got to get you away from underneath the almighty. And this is the design strategy of the world. Nations do it by making you a citizen, by claiming right to you, to your birth, to your nationality, to your identity. And the moment you lay claim to your nationality, you have come underneath the spirit of that nation. And you will find yourself wrestling between your national identity and your identity in him. Israel goes to Egypt. And what happened? They became like the Egyptians. Moses is born in Egypt. And he decides he's going to try to identify with his Hebrew nationality, which caused him to go against his Egyptian upbringing and find himself exiled, self-exiled, until he come into a real encounter with the Almighty who revealed to him his mission and sends him back into Egypt to bring his people out of Egypt. And while he's under the instruction and the anointing of the Almighty, he allowed the people of Israel to bring him underneath their spirit. And as a result, the one who called was called to deliver the people, allowed the people to bring him in bondage and caused him to abandon, in a sense, for a moment, that calling, which simply was listening to the people instead of listening to the Almighty. It always boiled down to that. Just like in the garden. And if you look through human history, it is as simple as, who are you listening to? I don't even trust me. I don't. Because I know me. I'm a cunning, conniving, scheming. I've been that way all my life. In order for me to do this, I have to, to the best of my ability, rid myself of the me who can pervert this. Most men pervert the calling that the Almighty places on their lives. And the way they pervert the calling, for the most part, is they start listening to the people. That's how it happens. They get some idea of grandeur. Got a few people following them. You hear people say, y'all look at me now, but you don't see how I started. What's the difference? 
Is this a different you than that? Because the very statement in itself, look at where I've come. Look at what I've built. Yeah, y'all jealous of me now. Y'all look at me now, but, but you didn't see me when I, was, when I was back here building. See, pride will get you unless you stay focused. I'm surprised, brothers and sisters. Can I just give you another bit of Arthur's honesty brutally? I'm surprised y'all still show up. I'm happy you do. But the way I, the way I be throwing it out there, <laughs> you know, it's like, it, y'all still come. All right. I got something for you. <laughs> the children of Israel become a nation in Egypt. And then again, Moses is sent to Egypt to deliver the children of Israel. And what, I'm, what I point this out is that Egypt has played a pivotal role in the children of Israel's life and, and will from now on. Even, you know, the prophecy that was spoken that you know, after those who came up against the Almighty lost their carcasses to shroom, um, that those who every nation, every nation, every nation, every nation will have to come up. And the only nation that's mentioned is Egypt. If Egypt will not come up, there will be no rain. In this verse, where he says, and, and he was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the Lord, uh, spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. Now, in this verse, Matthew referenced Hosea in chapter 11, verse 1, but this, this prophecy is in connection to Israel. Excuse me. Remember when we were going through, um, Genesis, we pointed out um, Israel as being, as, as we look at the first fruits, that, that is, Israel was the firstborn of, 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 of Jehovah's people. In other words, he's saying, Israel is my firstborn. And he's going to deal with Pharaoh in that sense as we go through Exodus. And this is one of the reasons why he deal with Pharaoh's firstborn. Because Israel was the firstborn. If, if Israel was the firstborn, and I'm not talking about Israel the man, I'm talking about Israel the nation. If they were the firstborn, then, then what does that mean? That means that other children, that means that there would be other nations because he was referencing Israel as a nation. And, and Israel as a nation, brothers and sisters, was, was to be exalted above all the nations as an example of a people whose nation was the Lord or whose, whose God was, was, was the, well, yeah, the nation whose God was Jehovah. Israel, by the Almighty, was established to be the example, not the Israel today, but the Israel that he gave his instructions to. 
And within those instructions was everything. All they had to do was diligently hearken unto the instructions. That's it. Diligently hearken unto the instructions. Some people came along sometime later and said, you don't have to diligently hearken unto him anymore. Can I, can I let you in on a little secret? Father is establishing his kingdom among the people. He's establishing first his kingdom in, and then he will establish his, his kingdom on the earth, and all the people of his kingdom will have to come up and worship him, regardless to where they were. Whether they be in Egypt or in some other nation, they would have to all come up. And who would be coming up? His people, the nations of the world. Remember, his house is a house of prayer for all nations. And the Torah will be the government structure. It was with the nation of Israel. It will be in the kingdom and it is supposed to be among those because that's what separates, that's what separates the people of his kingdom from the people of the kingdoms of the world. What? His law. The church teaches an individual salvation. Father is not about individual salvation as it, as it relates to individuals going to heaven as much as it is about teaching the gospel so that all of those who are supposed to be of, of his house, of his nation, will all hear the gospel, respond to the gospel, abandon their own self and identity as a, as a, as a world kingdom-minded person, and become one with the people of his kingdom. Not about individuals. It's about community. And being able to identify who is a part of that community. How are you going to know who your brother and your sister is? It's not just about you. It's about his people, his kingdom. And we're all over the place. We're everywhere. And the reason why we're everywhere is that we as the nation, the kingdom nation, will allow our light to shine and we'll speak forth his gospel, king, his, the gospel of the kingdom so that the world will hear and those who hear will respond to it. Many will hear and it'll go over their head. You'll preach for days and days and days. It's amazing. And, and all you got to do is look through the book of Acts. Everywhere they went, some people believed and a great majority didn't. There was no place they went where nobody believed. See, don't focus on the masses. Focus on the people who respond to the gospel. 
Because if you make the mistake of focusing on the masses, you won't see the people who respond. Because let me tell you something, the difference between the masses and the people who respond is the people who respond is going to be human. They're going to be humble. They're going to be a person of humility. They're not going to make a lot of noise. The masses going to make a lot of noise. They're going to challenge. They're going to question. They're going to try to demonize. They're going to they're gonna say ugly, nasty things about you. While the person who responded, they'll wait in the background. And if you don't see them, you'll miss them. You're over here arguing, arguing with some distraction. Don't allow the world to distract you. Sometimes you'll you'll see. I mean, and 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 when you get when when you get in get to a place where you find that people you know listen to you. See, even even here, and wherever I've gone, there'll be somebody who want to speak to you, but they're gonna lie in the cut and wait. Everybody else has had a chance to speak. There's some people who just want to. Let's keep moving. Folks, none of this, none of this is, none of, none of this was planned. But, um. I really believe Father is, is, is speaking to us today. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wrought and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem. And notice this, because you may, you may have missed this. And in all the coasts thereof. So it wasn't just the babies in Bethlehem. But it was in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. So if you, if you go back, when those wise men came and, and asked where he was born of the king, Herod sent his wise men, his, his, his uh, prophets, his um, scribes and priests to search out. And they came back and told him. And then he called the wise men and said, hey, hey, you know, when you find him, uh, come and, 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 and tell me so that I too can come and worship. And the Bible says he diligently inquired of him. See, he diligently inquired, but what was his motive? What was his motive? Let me tell you something. There'll, people, there'll be people who will ask you question after question after question. What's their motive? They may even look like they want to go worship. But what's their motive? You have to be able to discern the motives of the people who are diligently inquiring of you. Because there's some folks who want to debate. There's some folks who want to question. There's some folks that the enemy will put. Because see, guess what? You may not see that person who has some legitimate questions who've responded to the message 
and just waiting, and the enemy will put around you all these folks who want to diligently inquire. And what happens is that if, if it's enough, the person who Father may be calling you to will just decide, okay, well, maybe this is not the best time, and they're going on about their business. I've been in I've been in places and I've seen that. And it's like I have to say, excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> because there are folks, I'm telling you, think about this. If the work of the enemy is to wear out the saints. How you think they're going to wear you out? They're going to have a bunch of questions that they ain't going to do nothing with. I can't tell you how many people that I that I that I know that I've had to I've I've just had to say, you know what? They make good conversation but they ain't going to do nothing with what you done told them because they ain't done nothing with what you done told them. You done counsel them, they go and do the opposite. Like, why you, counsel, why you ask for counsel and you're going to go and do the opposite of what I say? And then get in trouble. And then they want more counsel. And go and do the opposite. And then get in trouble. And then they want more counsel. And if and 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 while you counseling with them, there are people who sincerely will take what you have to say and do something with it. While these people are wasting your time and wearing you out. You better recognize, because they're all around us. So, the wise men had followed the star to the place that should be placed where Yeshua was in the, in the house in Nazareth. But, when they leave that place, do they follow a star? Now, think about it. They're in an unfamiliar territory. So they follow this star. They're in unfamiliar territory with nothing but the instructions, and they're given instruction to go another way and not return the way they had come. Verse 12, and being warned of Elohim in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I'm trying to put myself in these, in these individuals, you know, camels, on their camel. Now, they probably got a compass, but the compass they had coming from where they came from to where they, they landed was a star. So if they did have a compass, they weren't following a compass. They was following a star. Now they get to a place to where it's unfamiliar. 
And get this, because see, this is big. The Almighty speaks to him. Now, I would dare say if the Almighty says, don't go this way, don't go back this way, how would they know which way to go? Just think about that for a moment. By the time Herod realized what had happened, Joseph, Mary, and Yeshua had left the land of Israel heading to Egypt. Herod not only, not, not, had, not, only, not only had the children in Bethlehem two years old and undermurdered, but also all those in the coast thereof. So here's, here's where imagination kicks in. Herod most likely inquired and gathered information about the child. This is my imagination kicking in. Because it's like, okay, the, the, the wise men said he would be in Bethlehem. Now, here's what the scripture has already shown us about Herod. Herod is diligent in his inquiry. Herod is diligent in his inquiry. So if the wise men said in Bethlehem, then it seems like he would focus his energy where? In Bethlehem. Why is he dealing with the coast thereof? Because now the Bible has shown us Herod is a diligent inquirer. It is safe to conclude that the words of Anna the prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, had reached the king that Yeshua had been in Jerusalem at the temple. Remember, well, what does it say? Luke 2.36. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, of the tribe of Asher. Wasn't Asher one of the ten one of the ten lost tribes? Obviously, it wasn't lost. She was of great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity, and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in at that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that look for redemption in Jerusalem. Get the picture. Messiah, parents, in fulfilling the law of purif laws of purification after a, child is, a male child is born, goes up to the temple for the simple fact of fulfilling the commandment as it relates to it. She runs across this fellow who is uh, an old man who is waiting uh, to see the Messiah. He, he sees the Messiah. And now here comes this prophetess. Now, the prophetess doesn't just look at the baby like the old man did and say, now I can go and be because my eyes have seen. This woman is a prophetess. She is one who what Father reveals to her is now proclaiming it to anybody who will listen. Get the picture. She is saying the Messiah, the King, has come. Here he is, y'all. The Bible says, and she, in that instance, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and then spoke of him to who? All 
them that look for redemption in Jerusalem. Is it safe to say that all the people who came up to Jerusalem were looking for redemption if they came up to the temple? She is speaking to the multitude, folks. Somebody say all them. So anybody who came looking for redemption, the prophetess is prophesying. <laughs> what do you think that 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 word spread? So if Herod is inquiring, he don't have to inquire far. Bethlehem is a little ways from him. He's in the city of Jerusalem. The word is going forth. The prophetess is prophesying, and the word is spreading that the Messiah, the king of, of, of Israel, has been born, has been presented in the temple, and the mother and the father has come to fulfill what the law has said, and she's prophesying. The Redeemer has been born. The Redeemer is here. The Redeemer has come, and anybody who was looking for redemption in Israel she would, are you all with me here? And I could imagine Herod being a diligent inquirer who don't really have to inquire much because the word is spreading, is now focused on more than just Bethlehem because he know now that the Messiah has been in the temple or the temple court has been presented here in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. Back to Matthew. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, now this is a specific where Matthew points out Jeremiah. In Ramah was their voice heard, Lamentation and weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. Now, who was Rachel's children? Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph and Benjamin. Now, you know, many people will read that and say, weeping for Israel. Weeping for the children of Israel. The fact of the matter is that Rachel only had two children. Jo Jacob, Israel had four wives. They all had different children. Rachel only had two. So who is she weeping for? And, and guess what? Rama and and and. and Matthew is quoting Jeremiah 31, 15. Thus saith Jehovah, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. So Matthew is quoting Jeremiah, but Rachel was one of Jacob, Israel's four wives. And who were Rachel's children? Joseph and Benjamin. Rachel died by the way after giving birth to Benjamin. And it came to pass as her soul, Genesis 35, 18, was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benhamim, 
and Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is what? Bethlehem. So what you see here is this land of Bethlehem, which is in Judah, the land of Judah, is part of Benjamin's territory. And where is this death taking place? Predominantly in Bethlehem, the land of Benjamin, which is the son of Rachel. Now, you know what's interesting too? Rachel was so um, key that her sons was both part of the house of Israel and the house of Judah. When the kingdoms split between the house of Israel and the house of Judah, Rachel had sons in both. Joseph, remember? And his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, they were part of the house of Israel. Benjamin and Judah, the house of Judah. Levi, between the two. Ramah was a name given to a city in the land of Benjamin. It is a town of the tribe of Benjamin, situated about five miles, eight kilometers north of Jerusalem on the road to Bethel. Verse 19, but when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Sometime later, Joseph was instructed to return to the land. And the angel said, arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead, which sought the young child's life. So he tells them to go into the land of Israel. What we're going to see is Joseph want to go one place, but, the, but, but, but father tells him to go someplace else. And, and this is, this is life. We want to go one place, but Father is speaking. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. We must work diligently on learning how Father speak. Your very life will depend on it. We must learn how father speak. If you are a wise man, if you are a wise woman, you should be diligent in learning how father communicate with you and then be ready to Shema when he does. You will always wrestle between what you want to do and what he want you to do. And let me tell you this, that What's interesting, what we see here is that Father, um, now we don't know if Father spoke to the, to the men where they came from and said, hey, follow the star. We, we, we looked at how they possibly could have known through uh, Daniel, through the he, uh, three Hebrew boys that were carried off into Babylon and that these individuals were most likely from Babylon by the, the name, the language we use. Um, in last week's teaching, but we do know for sure that when they were in the land, Father revealed to them not to go back the way they came. 
Now, what I'm trying to point out is when, when Father speak to you, just like he spoke to Joseph, go to Egypt. Go to Egypt. Now, there's no indication that Father spoke to them while they were in Egypt, according to what is written. But here's what we know. When it was time for them to leave, Father revealed to them in a dream, it's time to leave. And what does that mean? To me, I'm going to tell you what that means. Father will tell you what to do. And when you do it, there may be time between him speaking to you the next instruction. So what do you do in the meantime? Do what he said. Be diligent in doing what he said and waiting on him to give you the next order. Don't get ahead of him. We see this throughout. throughout. We see it with Abraham. There were years sometimes that went, went by between him giving him an instruction and him speaking. It didn't take Father 40 years to get the children of Israel from Egypt to, to the land. And you got all these people claiming to hear from him while questioning the leader who heard from him. There has to be a confidence in you between you and the Almighty in order for you to take that kind of stand and to lead that kind of way. And I'm going to tell you something. When you do it, all hell is going to come at you. Why? Because other people got their ideas of how things should be done. Other people got their ideas and philosophies of how you should do it. And you have to be willing diplomatically to stand firm on what you believe without offending other people. You know, it's like I, I hear that, yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll take that before him. And, and, and if, if he says what you're saying is what we should do, then, then I'll hear that. But I have to hear it. I have to hear him for myself. And this is why, you know, I don't get in people's business like that. See? Because if people are following your instructions and your instructions is coming from somewhere else other than him, guess who they following? You. And you will be responsible. It is important for you to not only be able to hear him for, your, for yourself, but that when you give people counsel, that you're hearing from him in the counsel that you give them. Because if you receive counsel from him to give them, guess what that counsel is going to do? It's going to put them face to face with him. When people came to inquire, of the prophet, they came to the prophet to inquire because they knew the prophet had the ear of the Almighty and they could hear or supposedly hear from the Almighty. So what were they doing? They were coming to a mediator between them and the Almighty. But can I tell you something? 
Everybody in the Bible didn't have to go to the prophets. Only the people went to the prophets who couldn't hear. Hello? I'm almost done. So, and he arose, verse 21, and took the young child and his mother and came. I thought I'd be done with this a lot quicker than this because it's a lot less slides. But you guys, well, me. He took the young child and his mother and came into the land. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, that notwithstanding being warned of Elohim in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. So, you see what Joseph wants to do? He wants to go in one place. But Father is telling him to go someplace else. Now, I assume because Joseph, Joseph knows. I, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, and, and I didn't look deep or hard enough, but I, I, I know that there, there are places where when individuals went into foreign lands and they came back to the, to the land, that they would go up to the temple, they would make book, they would, you know, um, rededicate, because why? They've been among people of another, of another nation. And so I suspect that this is probably why, because remember, these are individuals who are operating according to the purification. Here you have a man and a woman who has a child, and they go up to the temple during, after the purification to present the child and to present their offering and their sacrifice in accordance to the law. And I know that according to the law, the, the, the children of Israel, one, uh, when, they, when, when Father gave that instruction and these were devout, Joseph and Mary was devout, for them to go and dwell among a people in a foreign land, they had to have heard from the Almighty because they went to dwell in a foreign land among people who were not of them, right? So now they're coming back into the land. So I could see why he would want to go up. But Father says, don't go there, go there. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, and this is important, that we will do things out of habit. And we have to be careful that we don't do things out of habit. Do you know coming to service on the Sabbath can be a habit? It can be a habit. Going to work can be a habit. There are things that you do that you develop habits of that you don't even think about doing. And it just becomes part of your your routine. Keeping the commandments can be a habit. And you you want to make sure that in everything that you do, that you have, one, an ear toward what is written, and two, an ear toward heaven. Are you with me? We must always, to the best of our ability, be in tune with what is written, but be in tune with him speaking to us. This is why the most important thing you can do in your life, the most important thing you can do in your life, let me say for those people who need to hear it three times, for some reason or another, the most important thing you can do in your life is learn how to hear the voice of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, 
but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of Jehovah. The most important thing you can do is learn how to hear his voice. Archelaus was one of Herod's sons, and he was um, one of several. He was the brother Antip Antipas. They were brought up, and he, he ruled instead of his, his, his father because his father died. He, he, reigned, he reigned from 4 B.C. to A.D. 6 over Judea and Samaria and Idumea. Now, Idumea is between um, Judea and Egypt. So if you're coming out of um, Samaria into Judea, um, and then you'll find Idumea, which was the land given to Esau, the Edomites, which Herod was from the line of Esau, not from the line of uh, Yaakov. Joseph apparently wanted to go to Judea, but father warned him not to go there, and he went and stayed in Nazareth. And here's, here's a, one of those verses where um, you can't find this. It says, Matthew 2, 23, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, by the prophets. He shall be called the Nazarene. Now, I couldn't find that prophetic word. It is believed that what, what Matthew is doing is that his knowledge of all scripture and prophecy is being combined. Netzer, Notrim, Branch, all of these words could be implied because, see, here's, here's, what, here's what many of you, many of you know certain things that have been spoken, but you may not be able to pinpoint the chapter and the verse or even at times the book that it was spoken in. Have you ever had that situation? where you, you know the scripture, but you, you, you don't know whether Jeremiah said it or Isaiah, but you know it was spoken. And, and there's, there's a tendency to where we can have all this word because the religion taught us to memorize scripture by, by, by chapters and verses. But oftentimes it is said, it is spoken by the prophet, by the prophets without telling us what prophet or prophets said it. And here's one of those cases to where um, when you try to find this particular place where it is written, uh, you won't find it. And it's um, bits and pieces of this particular word that is scattered among the different prophets, which is why it is believed that this word prophet is not singular, but plural. With that, we bring this teaching to a close. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at ArthurBaileyMinistries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. 
Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.